Good morning. My name is Madison Rupert. I'm the intern here at Bloomfield Baptist Church, and it is an honor and privilege to be able to preach God's Word to you this morning. Our passage this morning is Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. That's Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. It's known as the parable of the persistent widow. And as you turn there in your Bibles, I just want to remind you that parables, like any other part of the Bible, cannot be ripped out of their context. Luke, who was a doctor and traveling companion of Paul, was a careful author who set out to write an orderly account, as he said in the introduction to his book. In Luke chapter 17, immediately before our passage today, Jesus spoke with his disciples about the coming of the Son of Man, his second coming, when he will return to rescue his people and judge the world. People asked when Jesus would be coming back in glory, and he told them that the time was coming when they would desire to see that day of his return, but would not. In the days before his return, people would be faithless and unconcerned about the coming judgment, just as they were in Noah's day before the flood and in Lot's day before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. With that context in mind, let's read our passage. In order to honor the reading of God's word, please stand if you are able. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. God's word says, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? On earth? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we just sang, we need you every hour. And how much more now when we come to your word? Lord, we need you to open our ears, open our hearts to hear your word and obey it. So we pray, Lord, that you would be with us now and be with me now as I preach your word. Give me the words to speak, that I might speak your truth and your truth alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Raise your hand if you know who Jim Elliott is. You want to know who Jim? Okay, quite a, quite a few people. Hopefully those in my Sunday school class raised their hands because we just talked about him a couple weeks ago. Actually, this was all just an elaborate test to see if they were paying attention. Uh, in the 1950s, Elliot and a group of missionaries felt called to share the gospel with the Warani tribe of Ecuador. This tribe was infamous for their violent reactions to any outsiders. They would kill almost anyone who encroached on their land. Elliot and his friends began initiating contact 
with the tribe slowly. They learned their language and began making contact by plane using a loudspeaker and would pass gifts down from the plane. They began to have some positive interactions with the tribe, and one tribesman even took a ride on their plane out of curiosity. They thought all was going well and began to make plans to initiate contact. Then on January 8, 1956, before they could make it to the Warani village, a group of 10 Warani warriors came to their camp pretending to be interested in taking plane rides. Elliot and one other missionary went to greet the men when they were promptly speared to death. The other missionaries were killed just moments later. From our standpoint, looking at the short term, it can seem at times that there is no justice in the world. Looking at this from a worldly perspective, it seems that Elliot and his friends wasted their lives. It can seem that the wicked triumph and that God's people are left out in the lurches. In this strange time between Jesus' conquering of death and sin through the cross and his resurrection and his future return, it's easy to lose heart. But some of you may know this story did not end there. In the case of Jim Elliott and his friends, God answered their persistent prayers in a dramatic way. Their deaths were not in vain. Jim Elliott's wife, their 10-month-old daughter, and the sister of one of those killed stayed behind to continue to minister to that tribe. God opened doors. They lived among them preaching God's word. Their deaths were not pointless. God answered the untiring prayers of his people, and the Warani people were transformed. Many came to Christ, including the very men who killed those missionaries that day. Most amazing of all, Steve Saint, the son of one of the missionaries killed, was later baptized by the very man who killed his father. We learn an important, simple truth from this parable recorded for us in Luke and from history as well. We learn that as we await Jesus' return, we must pray persistently and not lose heart, trusting that God will answer. We'll see this parable teaching us three specific reasons for why we must pray persistently. First, because we tend to lose heart. Second, because we expect God to answer. And third, because we know judgment is coming. First, we see that we should pray persistently because we tend to lose heart. It's always nice when a passage begins by telling us exactly what it's about. And that's precisely what Luke does for us here in verse 1. This verse acts like a preface to the parable, telling us the point of the parable and relaying the core teaching it contains. He says this parable will teach us that we ought to always pray and not lose heart. In other words, we should pray persistently, never giving up, but continuing on in prayer. He's not teaching us the need to constantly pray, as in pray every single waking moment. No, he's teaching us to pray persistently, to always be ready to pray and never give up. He's saying that we are not to be like a little kid playing ding-dong ditch who knocks once or rings the doorbell and then leaves before someone can come to the door to answer. No, we're to knock and keep knocking until we get an answer. Interestingly enough, I first read that illustration in the writings of a preacher 
uh, almost 200 years ago. So apparently Ding Dong Ditch has a very rich and storied history. Who knew? We see that this parable assumes some things that are worth stating. It assumes that Jesus' return would not be immediate. Jesus, in teaching this parable to his followers, was preparing them and us today for the fact that it might be some time before he returns. Further, it assumes that Jesus' followers then and today will face tribulation. Many of our brothers and sisters around the world experience persecution for their faith. We here may also experience co-workers or classmates mocking or excluding us. We also experience the trials of illness, death, and others sinning against us. At times, it may seem like God is more like the unrighteous judge than the perfectly righteous judge of the universe. Yet, as we'll see, this parable is teaching us that God is not like an unjust judge who ignores the cries of the needy. No matter how bad it seems, God has not forgotten you. The reality is that God is at work, even when it seems like he's allowing his people to suffer unnecessarily. We see this in the opening story I shared about Jim Elliott and his friends. We can see this countless times throughout history as well. One recent example would be the church in China. Before the founding of communist China and the brutal persecution that followed, Christians numbered around 4 million. After decades of horrific persecution and suppression, now there are 60 to 70 million Christians in China. Those believers faced terrible persecution, but God was at work. Furthermore, Luke says that Jesus is teaching us that we should not lose heart. We should not be discouraged, grow weary, or give up, even when it seems the answers to our prayers are delayed or not coming in the way we expect. So why does Jesus teach this parable? Simply because we are especially weak when it comes to persisting in prayer. We tend to lose heart. He was preparing his disciples for the reality that they would face, a reality that we face today, being persecuted, mocked, and cast out of society. He was reminding them that they would need to persist in prayer, not giving up even when it seemed like the deck was entirely stacked against them. Only through this persistent, undying commitment to prayer would the Christian community survive until Jesus' return. The reality is that we do not naturally hold up well under pressure. An egg does not get stronger when you stand on it. Eventually, it will crack. This is a problem with us fallen human beings in every area of our lives. We tend to lose heart, to give up. This is precisely why Jesus teaches us about our need to persistently pray. I saw this firsthand on the mission field. Serving as a long-term missionary is an incredibly high-stress endeavor. You're dealing with the stress of crossing into a new culture, learning a new language, in navigating in a totally new place, compounded with the reality of government or social opposition to what you're doing, constant surveillance, the threat of being jailed or worse, and so on. Then, just tack on the normal stresses of being a sinner in a sinful world. People frustrate you, you have disagreements or miscommunication with family and friends, and so on. 
the reality is that most people lose heart. They get worn out, their prayer life suffers, and eventually they simply lose heart and go home. There are many reasons one can point to, but one of the common threads is simply losing heart. It's what we naturally tend to do as fallen creatures. Jesus was very much a realist when he talked about what life would be like for his followers until his return. He clearly told us that it would be a rough road characterized by persecution and suffering. This is precisely why he told us to count the cost before setting out to follow him. Unfortunately, I think many people today misunderstand how Christians are supposed to deal with the suffering in this strange time between Jesus' ascension and his glorious return. Recently, I learned about a cultural idea in Indonesia called Malu. Now, Malu is often translated as shame, but essentially it's the idea of covering up bad things. If someone in your community is addicted to drugs, you just cover it up and pretend it isn't happening. If that person gets thrown in jail, you just talk about them spending time on vacation, even though everyone knows the truth. It's an attempt to protect harmony, as if just pretending will make it so. Everything, everyone goes on about their lives as if everything were normal, when really everything is falling apart. Is that what God calls us to do? Do we, as Christians, just pretend that everything is fine and dandy when we're suffering, when those we love are sick, when we look out upon the horrors of fallen humanity and the suffering caused by fallen creation? No. God does not call us to stick our heads in the sand and pretend everything is all right when it is clearly not. God calls us to cry out to him in prayer, to cry out, come, Lord Jesus, to cry out for justice and for all things to be made new. As Pastor Richard has mentioned in walking through Hebrews, God uses suffering to point us to greater eternal things. God calls us to persist in this kind of prayer, to press forward and not lose heart. Through this parable we're studying this morning, Jesus is teaching us the key to surviving and thriving until his return. It's persistent expectant prayer. Given that we tend to lose heart, to become discouraged, to grow tired, we need to persistently turn to God in prayer. The call to you today is clear. When you face the pain and persecution that characterize life until Christ's return, you must turn to God in prayer and not allow yourself to lose heart, as we all naturally tend to do. Have you been praying for a lost family member for years with no apparent results. Jesus is telling you, do not lose heart. Have you been praying for healing from illness just to have things get worse? Do not lose heart. Do you feel beaten down by the winds and waves of life and sinful people? Jesus is saying, do not lose heart. What then is the antidote to our natural tendency to lose heart, it's persistent prayer. The first thing we learn from our passage this morning is that we need to pray persistently because we tend to lose heart. As we move to the details of the parable, let's see our second reason for why we should pray persistently. Next, we see that we should pray persistently because we expect God to answer. 
as we walk through this parable, it might be a little confusing on first glance. You might be thinking, wait, is Jesus comparing God to an unjust judge? That doesn't seem quite right. Let's look at some of the details and see what Jesus really is teaching. The parable has only two characters, a judge and a widow. The judge is the exact opposite of what a godly person should be. Look with me at verse 2. Jesus describes this judge as one who neither feared God nor respected man. This judge is violating the two very commandments that Jesus said were the heart of the law and the prophets, that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This judge did not fear God, who is the ultimate judge. Our other character is a widow. Now remember, widows were one of the lowliest people in the social structure. It was especially easy for them to be victims of injustice. She, first of all, is a woman, which put her at a disadvantage in those days. Second, her husband had died, which meant that she had no man to stand with her in the court of law. While the law of God made provision for widows and sought to protect them, obviously this judge did not concern himself with such things. What do we learn about this widow? We see in verse 3 that she kept coming to him. This is persistent, ongoing, incessant coming. She was probably very poor since she had no husband to support her. Thus, she could not have paid the bribes to the clerks that were required to have one's case heard by judges of the day. Since the widow could not have paid the bribes and had no other way to get her case heard, she only had one option, keep going to the judge. Her intent was just to wear the judge down. Someone had wronged her and she needed it to be made right. Finally, the judge gives in, saying he fears the widow will finally wear him out. The word he, use, he uses here is actually from boxing. It's as if she was literally beating him down with her persistence. After looking at this parable, a few things are clear. Jesus' point is not that God is like an unjust, unrighteous, and ungodly judge. His point is not that God will not answer our prayers unless we pester him about it for so long that he has to respond lest we annoy him to death. This point is the exact opposite. It goes something like this. If an unjust, wicked judge would give justice to a stranger who has the lowliest of social positions, how much more will the righteous judge of all the universe quickly respond to the requests of his own children? Because of Jesus' perfect life, you, believer, uh, can relate to him now as father and not just as an unrighteous judge. Because of his death in your place on the cross, because of his resurrection and your faith in him, you can cry out to God knowing that he hears your prayers, that he cares about you, and that he will answer. That's the beauty of the gospel, folks. No longer just judge, but now loving father. Therefore, we have a real reason to press on in persistent prayer. If we had to nag God until he finally gave in, if God was just an unjust, uncaring judge who did not care for his people, it would be easy to give up. Yet this is not our Heavenly Father. 
If you have become his child through faith in Jesus Christ, you can know that he cares for you. You can pray persistently expecting that he will certainly answer you when you cry out to him. In verse 7, Jesus says, Will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? His elect or his chosen ones is a rich topic that would require a sermon unto itself. But suffice it to say, this is referring to those of us who have trusted in Christ and truly repented of our sins. It is referring to those of us who have been adopted into God's family, those who he chose before the foundation of the world to be in Christ. God deeply cares for his chosen people. How could he possibly delay long in answering their cries for help? If even an unjust judge would respond to a stranger, how much more will God answer us? I've often seen God's caring provision for me in response to persistent prayer. When my wife hit a deer in our car just a few months ago, we were persistently, expectantly praying that God would provide for our financial needs. Out of nowhere, we received a check from an old friend in the mail for the exact amount of our deductible. Now, we never told that friend what we needed and certainly never asked for money, yet God answered our expectant prayers in an amazing way providing exactly what we needed. This shouldn't surprise us. God is real. He is alive and active in the world. He hears our prayers and delights in answering them according to his perfect will. I'm sure many of you could recount many miraculous ways we've seen God answer our prayers. Yet wouldn't we all admit that we often forget this and fail to pray persistently expecting that God will answer? Don't let yourself forget how God has answered your prayers. Remind yourself of God's provision and expect that he will continue to answer your prayers. Yet if we're honest, from our perspective, it's often hard to pray expectantly. It can seem like answers are not quick. This is especially true when you are going through suffering, as I know many of you are today. In these times, we must remember that God's timeline and our timeline are often quite different. Pastor Tim Keller said it well. He said, You cannot judge God by your calendar. God may appear to be slow, but he never forgets his promises. He may seem to be working very slowly or even to be forgetting his promises, but when his promises come true, and they will come true, they always burst the banks of what you had imagined. God's grace virtually never operates on our time frame, on a schedule we consider reasonable. What about when we don't receive an answer to prayer? Sometimes God knows that our requests are not what we truly need. He has something greater in mind for us, something far greater than we have even imagined. Sometimes he does not answer immediately so that we might depend on him more. Remember, God left Paul with his thorn so that he might depend on him, that God's power might, made, might be made perfect in Paul's weakness. God knows the perfect time to answer and will always give us exactly what we need. If you're struggling this morning 
wondering why God has not yet answered your prayers or have given up praying because you think God won't answer at all, hear this. God is perfectly righteous. God is sovereign. He is in control of all things. And God is also loving. He deeply cares for you more than you even care for yourself. Do you believe that this morning? When you begin to stumble and doubt, remind yourself of these truths. God cares. God hears. God will answer. So continue to pray persistently, expecting him to answer. We've now seen that we should pray persistently first because we tend to lose heart and second because we expect God to answer. Our final reason ties this whole parable together. Finally, we see that we should pray persistently because we know judgment is coming. I want to remind you of what I said in the very beginning of this sermon. This parable is told in the context of Jesus' return to judge the earth. The justice Jesus speaks of here is primarily pointing to the justice that will come at his return. He's telling us here that we must pray persistently because we know Jesus is coming back to judge and persistent prayer is the only way we will remain faithful until then. Look with me at verse 8. In this verse, Jesus asks a hypothetical question. He asks, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This parable has what one scholar called a sting in the tail. That is, it ends with a bit of a twist when it turns in application to the disciples, asking them and us today if we have enduring faith like that of the persistent widow. Jesus is reminding us that we can only stand firm through persistent prayer. Because we know Jesus is coming back to judge the earth, we must engage in persistent and expectant prayer. That is how we have the kind of enduring faith that we've been talking about as we walk through Hebrews. Yet, we're not alone in this. This, again, is the beauty of the gospel. When we trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells us so that we have the power and strength to persevere in prayer. In the passage immediately preceding our parable, Jesus says his return will be like the flood in Noah's day. When people were carrying on with their lives like normal until the flood came and destroyed them all. He also likens it to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Turn back one page or two in your Bible with me to Luke chapter 17, verses 28 through 30. Luke chapter 17 verses 28 through 30. Here Jesus says, Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. When Jesus comes back, it will be sudden. None of us know when it will be, but we do know this. When he returns in judgment, people will be carrying on with life as normal. They will not be expecting 
his return, just as they did not expect the flood in Noah's day and did not expect the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah in Lot's day. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is coming back. God will give justice to his chosen people speedily. But when Jesus returns, he will also bring judgment for those who reject him. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 to 8 says this of Jesus' return. You don't need to turn there, just listen as I read. This passage says that Jesus will be, quote, revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, unquote. I want to emphasize the reality of coming judgment is not something preachers make up to scare people into making decisions for Jesus. The coming judgment is as certain as the very pulpit before me. This is something God promises will happen. And let's be honest, that's scary. Listen to those words. Jesus is coming back in flaming fire to inflict vengeance on those who do not know God. This is a sobering reminder. For those of us who trust in Jesus, it reminds us just how much we need to persist in prayer, calling out to God for the strength to endure. For those not trusting in Jesus today, it should serve as a wake-up call. God is giving every person here today an opportunity. For everyone who has not trusted in Jesus, God is giving you another chance to put your complete faith in Jesus, in his perfect life he lived on your behalf, his death on the cross where he took the punishment for your sins that you deserve, and his triumphant resurrection where he destroyed sin and death forever. Don't put it off. Don't be like those who were swept away in the flood or those who were destroyed in Sodom. God is giving you a chance to respond to him today. Will you hear his call and believe? For those of us who have trusted in Christ, the application is very clear. We must pray persistently because we know how easily we lose heart. We must pray persistently because we expect God to answer. We must pray persistently because we know Jesus is coming back to judge. And there is no way we can stand before him other than through persistent prayer. If you've lost heart or given up praying for something, return to Jesus today in prayer. God takes great joy in caring for his children. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you hear us, that you care, that you love us more than we could ever even possibly love ourselves. We thank you that we can pray to you expectantly, knowing that you will answer. But we confess, Lord, that we so easily lose heart. We so easily become discouraged and beaten down. So we pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us. And for those among us today who have not yet trusted in your Son, we ask that you would open their eyes and open their hearts that they might repent and so be able to stand before the Lord Jesus on that day when he returns to judge. We thank you for the gift 
of being adopted into your family so that we can now relate to you as sons and daughters and not just those under righteous condemnation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.